I'm Luke Shoemaker, and you're listening to the MCU Quarantine Gauntlet. With me is my co-host, Graham Thomas. Graham, how you doing today? Luke, I'm doing just fine, sir. And welcome, everyone, to the very first of the MCU Quarantine COVID-19 Gauntlet. Yeah, Graham and I, uh, we've known each other for about, what do you know, Graham, seven years now? Since you've came seven to Seven or eight years, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm a high school coach. He's a sports reporter. And we've kind of had a bond that grows beyond just uh, sports into all things MCU, Star Wars, Star Trek, you name it. We kind of uh, have a lot of similarities when it comes to those likes. Graham, why do you think? Anything that has a nerd following. <laughs> so we thought uh, during this this time since we can't he can't interview me on the sidelines maybe we could uh put together a podcast and go through the entire mcu yes and it seems like a a very uh daunting task i mean there's all these mcu movies but you know it's kind of something we've been talking about for a while so we'll start here with uh captain america the first avenger and uh we'll just see where it takes us yeah, so Captain America First Avenger, a little opening thoughts and information released on July 22nd, 2011. It was the fifth installment in the MCU Infinity Saga, and it was the second to last one in phase one. I Domestic- guess I should point out what order we're going in, too, here, Luke. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Why, why this first, if I, if, if I just said it's the fifth? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, we so- chose this... Uh, kind of sequence because we're going through it chronologically within the MCU. So if you think about this film, it takes place in World War II. We thought we would go in that through that order instead of the traditional how they were released in theater. A little side note here too, about a year ago, my wife and I started watching these Marvel movies in chronological order. For years and years and years, I've been trying to get her to watch these things with me and she had no interest in it. Then uh, her, uh, Right around the end of tax season last year, she works in a tax office. She was kind of thinking about something we could do over the summer, and she found this cool graphic. I'll have to show it sometime of um, the the chronological order of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And she goes, you know, maybe some, we can do something like this. And, boy, I jumped on that in a heartbeat. So we're still working on them. Um, we're right up to uh, the Avengers Endgame. But... Um, Man, it's fun stuff, and I just I can't get enough of these movies. Even the ones that we tell you are not our favorites. I mean, even those are really actually not bad movies. So I mean, they're still entertaining for sure. I mean, and as as you know, as a young boy, you see all these heroes, you see the animated versions, and you always picture what it'd look like live screen. And then over the last decade, uh, we we got it. Yeah, and. You know, here lately, it seems like everything Marvel touches turns to gold. But, um, you know, when you were mentioning the the box office numbers, I think domestically, you said this thing made about $176 million and a little, uh, well, about $370 million worldwide. But, you know, I kept thinking, if, if this Captain America, the first Avenger, were, were released in today's Marvel Universe how much money would it make? And I think it would be well more than 175 million domestically. I think it would be up around 300 million as you know, if you see if people knew back in 2011, what this would become, you know, I think it was the first Avengers that pushed everything 
you know, uh, over that, the top. Yeah, that that went way over the top. And you got to think, uh, this was one of the last ones that was put out by by Paramount, not Disney. And then Disney acquired the rights. And the monster that is Disney Entertainment uh, absolutely grew it. You know, like you said, 170 million on a budget of 140 million in today's uh, world and the way this has just progressed and the monster that is MCU. I, you know, you're right. It could be a half a billion would probably be more a realistic number. Yeah, I would like to point out you probably can't see it, but I've got my Captain America. Well, it's not a Captain America shirt, but we do have America on my shirt. So there you go. That, yeah, America. Got, yeah, got to represent. And some, I mean, even even Steve's representing the the shield as he tries to be incognito, uh, breaking into a Hydra base. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's get into uh, some of the key players in this. So starting with, you know, some of the the cast. You got Chris Evans as Captain America. Uh, Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter, Sebastian Stan as James Buchanan, Bucky Barnes. You had Tommy Lee Jones as Colonel Chester Phillips, Hugo Weaving as Johann Schmidt, a.k.a. the Red Skull. And I had to throw him in there, Stanley Tucci. He's only in it for about a quarter of the movie, but his role as uh, Dr. Abraham Erskine is, is – he does quite well. Yes, I, I agree. And, and, you know, he is so well disguised you can barely tell it's him. Oh, I mean, he's, you know, if you, if you look at him in the terminal, you know, he's bald and clean shaven and you look at him in this one, he's got hair, he's got a beard and, you know, has a good accent. He's just a really fine actor. And the fun part about the accent is one of the reasons he took the role is because he said he always wanted to use a German accent and they pitched oh, in this role and he said, yeah, absolutely. Here's my shot. Yeah. One of my favorite Stanley Tucci movies, A Midsummer Night's Dream, a little, tri little trivia there. So. Oh. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I like him in uh, Devil Wears Prada. Does pretty well in that role as well. Uh, talk about directors here. Joe Johnson, uh, quite the career arc. Uh, he worked on Star Wars episodes four through six with uh, and with Spielberg on both or two Indiana Jones movies. Uh, I think what kind of why they went this direction with him as far as the superhero side is, is he did the Rocketeer back in 1991. Now, not a domestic hit by any means, but it kind of showed live action uh, superheroes around mm -hmm. the time, same time where Batman was coming out. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I, I guess I missed this, this notes tab in our uh, pregame meeting about Joe Johnston was hiding over here to the side, but um, you know, all these movies on here are pretty good movies. You're talking about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, The Rocketeer, Jumanji, the very first Jumanji with Robin Williams. October Sky is a gem. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Luke. It is oh, fabulous. Yes, absolutely. That's, you're talking about a, uh, a young Jake Gyllenhaal uh, who, you know, has ties to the MCU, but it's a, it's a great movie. And Jurassic Park 3, you know, not so much. Adago had some great effects on it. Uh, you know, you get into the writers of this movie. They didn't just stop here. They went through Captain America Winter Soldier. They helped with Guards of the Galaxy, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame. They stayed uh, on for the long haul when it comes to the MCU. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it just goes to show you, you know, you keep some really good minds in, in um, you know, I really think that, when in terms of the the really great marvel movies when you hit captain america on i mean it, it's hard to find a bad one after that and you know these are all very good 
So um, it just goes to show you, you know, that you keep good people around and you're going to produce some good work. Oh yeah. You, you, you put together uh, the right minds in the room and uh, you can put out some pretty good content. So this came out uh, the summer before my senior year in college. And you're so young. Uh, for now, you know, I, uh, at that time, you know, I'm not going to lie. Uh, Chris Evans at that point, you know, one of my memories uh, was that he did not participate in a great superhero story in either of the uh, Fantastic Four. But I also remember watching the 1990 live action Captain America and thinking this is pretty cheesy. So, you know, you had that, but you're coming off of Iron Man, which I thought was a huge hit. I absolutely loved it. You know, I can still go back today. It's it's one of my favorites in the MCU. And then they put out and Hulk. And you're going to. I, it, well, and I'm going to. That's what's incredible. And then they put out Hulk. And I'm sorry, this is going to maybe a hot take, but I would have rather watched Lou Ferrigno's television show. I mean, he that this movie made him look like an Academy Award winning actor. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Iron Man 2 yeah. had you know, possibly one of the worst villains, in my opinion, of the MCU, uh, Thor. I just, the, the chemistry between Natalie Portman and Hemsworth at that time in that movie might have been worse than the chemistry between her and Anakin Skywalker in Attack of the Clones. So where I was standing, MCU was batting 250, and we're a couple of baseball guys. Uh, not a very good average, right? You know, but... <laughs> Anymore, two guys who hit 250 stay in the major leagues and make a lot more money than we do. Sure, but you could still. I understand a, what you're saying. You could still find a gig, but you know, I, I was so I wasn't too thr thrilled. But it was Captain America, so I was going to go watch it. And you know, I'd say they they didn't. I didn't think they hit a home run right off the bat, but I could see where this was going to progress and the, where the storytelling was going to go. That a lot of good things were going to come from it. Uh, Evan, yeah. Evans was the perfect casting. And where I stand, Hugo Weaving is an incredible villain, whatever the role might be. So um, a little bit about where I was in, in my life at this time. So as, as Luke mentioned, I'm a sports writer and um, I cover, you know, everything across the board from football to basketball to soccer, baseball and all that and, and like it all. But uh, the summer of 2011, we had just uh, been in the – uh, I started working in the town that we live in in 2009, but we didn't start living there until the summer of 2010. So when the summer of 2011 came around, we had been in town in our house about a year and we had small, small kids at the time. Um, I believe that we would have had a, a five-year-old going to turn six and then a, a two-year-old going to turn three. And um, so being a sports writer, I was always gone a lot. And so, you know, when I was at home, the thing we didn't want to do was have me going out to the movies all the time. So I would always go see the movies late night. And so I remember going and seeing this one at a late night show at our little theater here. And um, I guess, you know, other than what was happening with my family and my kids, the most exciting thing in my life going right at that point was that I just co that I just covered the Asylum Springs soccer team to its first state soccer title, which is a really big deal. Now, the Panthers, and uh, as Shul will is well aware of the the Panthers have won several more since then, and it's been a, a fun time. But um, I was excited about Captain America, and 
and the reason why is because you, you never seen a depiction of him other than in the comic books so being very successful and like you said the the bomb of the the movie in the 19 early 1990s and and i guess my biggest knock on the character himself was you know what was so such a big deal about a shield you know all these other superheroes had so many cool weapons and um or or powers and i i didn't know a whole lot about the super soldier program uh, i'm not i like comic books but i wouldn't say i'm a huge nerd about them um, and so I'm like, what's the big deal about a shield? So <laughs> as we later learn that that shield's pretty awesome. Um, yes. And his ability to throw it is, is unrivaled. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at on, on going back to 2011 trip down memory lane, trip down memory lane, a uh, couple, couple trivial things, uh, for this role, Chris Evans paid only $300,000 after he passed on it three different times. So I, I don't wonder about that. I was like, you know, did he, did he pass on it because he was only offered 125 or did, did they come back to him and they offered him something low? I'd, I'd, I'd like to know the answer to that. Well, on my point. limited internet research, as I scoured some of the web, I, uh, I got <laughs> to the where I read, he wasn't sure he wanted to take on a role of that magnitude. And after having some phone calls with Robert Downey Jr., he decided, <laughs> I'm going to give this a shot. And, you know, you look at other salaries in the MCU uh, where they're at today, and this is just a bargain deal. He got paid $7 million years later to do Civil War. Yeah. Well, at that point, they had gotten, you know, locked into contracts, I think. So, yeah. Um, and I forget what the total number of times he's played Captain America. I've seen that in the trivia on the internet movie database a lot. Like, you know, this is the 12th time that, that Evans has reprised the role of Captain America. And that's awesome, though. Oh, yeah. I could do 300,000. 300, I, I could do a role for 300,000. I'm not They could get me on. for a lot less, actually. I'd say 30 grand, I might even do a movie. Uh, yeah. something that I thought was interesting as far as, you know, as we head into our section of trivia night here is that originally Magneto and Wolverine were supposed to make appearances since both characters obviously were alive, uh, during World War II. But at that time there was uh, a licensure, uh, dispute and Fox would not allow them to appear in the movie. I, you know, can't we all get along, you know? I guess we should be grateful that at some point for a, for a brief time there, you know, Sony and, and Marvel came to, came together and agreed to, to let, you know, different universes blend. And then they kind of backed out of it and they saw the reaction and they're like, Oh, we better get this straight. You know, you know, you see that a lot in society. You know, we, we have to get along. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, we talk about today's times, all our connections are done through zoom or some other form of, you know, outside of face to face. Uh, when I'm thinking about this part, I'm thinking, what would the movie have been like with a Wolverine appearance? Maybe we'll, we can we can add that to the end and some of our uh, final thoughts. But uh, one more trivial note, you know, Evans apparently has quite the, uh, I guess, the eye for finding scripts that are related to comics. You've got two Fantastic Fours. Uh, you've got Push, The Losers, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. And he also voiced... Uh, Casey Jones and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles back in 07. So he kind of gravitates towards roles that are derived from comic books. 
Yeah, I mean, you kind of get typecast, I guess. And, you know, I, I honestly, so of those movies, I think I've only seen the Fantastic Four movies, um, and I will not go back and watch them. I, I just can't view him as anybody else but Captain America. So I can't, I can't go back and watch the Fantastic Fours of, of, the, of, that, of that era. We'll wait to see what Marvel Comics comes out with. Oh, I agree. And you think about his character and in that in those movies compared to who Iron or who Captain America is, it's quite fascinating. He plays a selfish teammate in Fantastic Four to the ultimate teammate in Captain <clears throat> America. So he had to play two different people entirely. Yeah. Let's get into a little bit of the plot, a little a little synopsis rundown. I'm gonna let uh, you take this one away. Hey, yeah, I got it. Uh, a little spoiler alert. Uh, since we are we are diving into these movies that we will, if you haven't seen them, uh, just to give you a fair warning, we're going to talk about some things related to the movie that could ruin it for you. So, you know, this movie sorry, opens... Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> and this movie opens in the Arctic, and you see these officials there, and they're, they're, they get inside the ship that was frozen, or what appears to be a ship, and one of the biggest takeaways from this scene and why they show it is what do they find in that ship, Graham? Captain America. Captain America himself. You know, you, they see the shield, they call it in, and boom, the movie flashbacks to 1942. So we do that time hop right out of the gate. And what we see is what appears to be, it's a German officer named Johann Schmidt, and he steals what we come to find out later is called the Tesseract. And I just want to throw this out there. This should have been my first hint uh, that Hugo Weaving was a super soldier because you got four different guys that are trying to open that tomb. And he just walks up to it and just gives it a nice nudge and off it goes. Did you catch that <laughs> on rewatch? I did, I did not catch that on the rewatch, but um, yeah. He's, that's a great point. He, he walks up, and there's a, like a sergeant or someone trying to get these guys to move it. He looks at him. They get out of the way, and he just, boom, knocks it over. I, rem I remember it now, now that you mentioned that. So Then we then travel across the pond, and it shows a young man, and it's, it's Steve Rogers, and the uh, CGI and the effects, we'll get into that later, of how they transform Chris Evans is uh, incredible. But we show him getting rejected from – a laundry list of health concerns. So he gets turned down. Uh, we later see some of how courageous he is and how brave he can be when he's at the, at the cinema and he sticks up for uh, some of the promos about the troops. And then introduce Bucky Barnes, who saves the day for him, comes into the alley, helps save him from getting beat up. Uh, they both go to, and you know, on rewatch, I didn't even think about this. They go to this World's Fair exhibit and that's a huge callback to Iron Man 2. Uh, in mm. fact, the Howard Stark car that he has raised at the World's Fair in this movie is using some of the technology that's later going to be used for Tony's Iron Man suit. Yeah. I, you know, you're, I, I, I missed that one. Um, but I, I have to honestly admit, I haven't watched a whole lot of Iron Man 2. So. Ah. Well, that's why we're doing it a couple times. A nice yeah. refresher for all of us. I'm telling you. And, you what know, is, this, here's the thing about where Steve Rogers' mindset at is, and we see this over and over again in the, uh, in the movie, he's technically on a double date, which he completely just blows the girl off to try to enlist yet again into the armed forces. And 
He and is why, so focused on enlisting. He's tried like five times. And that's, he's he's you know. committed, uh, you know, fraud. He keeps lying about where he's from. He changes his name. He just wants to go be in World War II and help where, you know, other men across the country are gone. And he wants to join uh, the same infantry group that I believe his father joined, is which stated in the movie. And while he's sitting there talking to Bucky, inner uh, Dr. Erkskin or Stanley Tucci's kind of kind of creeping in the background. And he overhears the conversation. And because that he overhears that conversation, he actually sneaks in and does the physical quotations on Steve and uh, lets him in. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of, you know, kind of sneaky how that happens. But, um, you know, I think he knew right then that's the, the kind of guy he wanted. Yeah. Was the guy who was willing to lie on his application over and over again, because you got to think at the time, there were probably some guys who were scared to death about enlisting. And they're probably a lot like, you know, Steve Rogers. And he even asked Rogers, do you want to kill Nazis? Rogers says, is this a test? And he just flat out tells him yes. And his response is, he doesn't want to kill anyone. Yeah. He just doesn't like bullies. And that's kind of a, a theme that goes on uh throughout this movie so then we flash forward and steve's at basic training and we finally get introduced to not only agent peggy carter played by the lovely Haley atwell but we also get colonel phillips played by played tommy, by the lovely tommy lee jones lovely uh, here's the thing is he playing agent k for men in black in this role you know there is a lot of agent k there he's a lot grumpier um Agent K is just very, uh, I don't know what's the word, just very stern, I guess, is how I would just, just very no-nonsense. And Colonel Phillips is Agent K, but a lot older and grumpier. Yes, yeah, so, but at least Colonel Phillips, as we get later on, one of my favorite moments, he has, a, he has quite the sense of humor about him. Yeah, he does. And, you know, Tommy Lee Jones plays that off pretty funny. I mean, he's... He's really, really just very talented. I enjoy a lot of his stuff. So absolutely, you know. Then we get the the classic training montage that you get in almost you name a war related movie, and you're going to get a training montage. Um, you know, in this one, our our main protagonist he struggles. You know, he can't keep up with his peers. His lack of size, strength, it's on full display. But I think we get a little. A uh, glimpse into that he's oh, he has some brains and he's resilient. Uh, when he knocks down the flag uh, by pulling yeah. out the pins, there shows some creativity to get a, around his lack of strength. Yeah, and then the, you know, of course, the highlight there is when um, Tommy Lee Jones throws the grenade on the ground and someone shouts out "Live grenade!" and you know. Steve Rogers very selflessly covers the grenade in an attempt to save everyone. You yeah, know? and it was that, and it came at a, that's per- a very- came at a perfect time with Tommy Lee Jones arguing with Erkskin about who they should pick, about why he wanted to pick that kid, and then lo and behold, like you said, Steve jumps on the grenade and he shows he's the guy. Yeah, and that that kind of clinches the decision right there. Yeah, that, and that leads to a good scene between uh, Cap and Dr. Erkskin, and it's the night before their procedure, and, you know, he kind of talks about why he chose him. is because 
he's a good man. And he talks about another time in his life when a not so good man used his serum and it shows kind of a flash sideways to Johann Schmidt taking it. And he said, it turns uh, evil into worse. And yeah. uh, that kind of gives you a hint of who we're dealing with as far as a villain. Uh, and then they, at the exact same time, they cut to Schmidt and Dr. Zola in their secret lair and some mountain range. Uh, and they talk about how they need to, they need to execute Erkskin because he's going to try to make super soldiers out of Americans. Yeah. So Carter uh, takes Rogers to an offsite lab in Brooklyn, fitting that it's in Brooklyn where uh, Steve uh, is from and the experiment's done and Cap comes out looking rock solid. I mean, if he was going to be an NFL draft pick, he passes the eye test, doesn't he, Graham? Well, and you got to give a lot of credit to Chris Evans. I mean, he got himself in just tip-top condition for this role and it really pays off for him. When those doors open, you, you hear the Captain America theme and there he is all, you know, bulked up and, you know, probably in the best shape he'd ever been in, in his life. And I mean, what a gratifying moment for him as an actor. And cause people won't forget that, that part. No, that's a, that's, you know, one of the most remember, uh, memorable scenes. And like you said, he looks so good that Peggy Carter can't resist, but to reach out and touch him. The sad part yeah. of this same scene, though, is that Erkskin gets murdered by a Hydra agent. And then we get to see Cap on full display, even though he's trying to, he's kind of like Bambi figuring out how to walk at first. And all of a sudden he realizes he's running like a 4-2-40. Uh, he's throwing stuff. He eventually catches up to the guy who then kills himself with cyanide. But this kind of leads into Colonel Phillips and Agent Carter giving us a little more background on what Hydra is and what they do for uh, the Nazi army. Yeah. And, you know, we, we kind of get to that decision that Colonel Phillips makes about how, you know, the, the super soldier project is going to be shelved. And, you know, then another person steps in, I believe it was a, uh, a congressman, you know, yeah, the senator uh, steps in and he says, you know, we can find a way for you to serve your country. You can inspire people. And, you know, it kind of leads into the part of the movie where, you know, the promotional part of the movie, the war bonds and, you know, cap, you know, visiting places to try to help drive up money for the war. Yeah. Which it takes them all the way to Italy in a, it looks like the scene in the movie is kind of like a Bob Hope trying to rally the troops, get them fired up, but it doesn't go so well since he actually hasn't fought in any battles. Uh, but he finds out that Bucky's platoon that uh, got captured and they're being held at a Hydra facility. So, you know, Cap being the hero that he is, he, he gets with Agent Carter. And next thing we know, Howard Stark is flying a plane into enemy territory and he skydives out of the plane. Uh, and he ends up freeing all the prisoners, Bucky included, where he eventually runs into the Red Skull, who after Cap punches him a couple times, uh, Johann Schmidt just decides, I'm going to take off my skin mask that I'm wearing, and then we get the first reveal of the Red Skull. What were you thinking the first time you ever watched this and you finally saw him as the Red Skull? I was thinking, you know, that that's 
that's one of those faces that you know you can either really get right or you could screw up badly i thought marvel did a good job on his face um it wasn't over the top but it was still very menacing and powerful I mean, it, it looked like hugo weaving still. yeah they, they didn't use the time they didn't try to do cgi to make him into something uh, it reminds me you know as a sci-fi nerd uh, the original Total Recall had a lot of strange-looking characters in the movie. When you go back now, they kind of some of them kind of just look humorous, but you know they did their best to try to keep computers out of it in creating their villains. And I think the same thing happened here. Yeah, uh, they did a good job. I mean, you know, in some of these these uh, superhero movies, the they go over the top with the animation or the makeup and it just kind of looks goofy. Good job on their part. Yes, absolutely. Especially when we're looking at 2011, uh, you know, now they, they had stuff at their disposal, but they went that route. And I think that was a good decision. So after they leave the base, the whole group that gets rescued, they walk all the way back to the American side uh, and they start putting a squad together. Uh, to take down all the Hydra facilities that Cap saw on a map at the first facility. Uh, but before the squad goes out, Cap and Har Howard Stark, they do a little walk, and they walk into his workshop, and he's putting all, all these weapons together, and we see shields, lots of shields. But Cap doesn't uh, gravitate to any of the ones Stark's pitching. He finds what we now know as the vibranium shield that he still uses flash forward all the way to endgame. And and right there on the shields too, the, the movie in the lead up to all this did a great job of him using shields like, you know, the very opening part where he's getting beat up in the alley, he has a trash can lid that he's using as a shield to protect himself. Later when he goes off on that, you know, going after that Hydra agent after he's been transformed, he has a, a taxi door and, you know, later at the end, you know, that someone else has picked up on that trash can lid with a with a shield in it. So I thought they did a good job of kind of leading into that from the shield. Uh, yeah, I agree that it definitely showed uh, that he enjoyed using a shield in some capacity. I think Stark even hints at that. Well, I heard you like shields. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, and the, the guy playing uh, Howard Stark too did a good job. I thought. So. Yes. Oh yeah. He uh, all the way through, especially the end, you can kind of see the bond he had built with caps, but before we get there, uh, kind of finish some of the rundown. So they decide, he decides on the shield, which leads to one of my favorite parts that kind of shows off the shield strength is Peggy Carter just shoots six rounds into it, uh, not <laughs> knowing what it was going to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the shock value there, I think, is what they were going for. And she, you know, uh, hell hath no fear, a fury like a woman scorn. And she had saw him about 10 minutes earlier kissing, uh, not that he chose to, but he was kissing uh, another female uh, soldier at the, at the little hideout there in London. So yeah. it shows uh, another montage where we get into your classic, uh, whether it be sports, war, or whatever, where the good guys are putting together a string of victories. And yeah. we see the shield being used. We see uh, them taking down Hydra facility after Hydra facility. And then it starts to slow down because now they have a chance to capture Dr. Zola. Uh, but 
in the midst of that, we lose, or so we thought, we lose one of his best friends, Bucky Barnes, on the train scene when yeah. he goes to capture him. Yeah, pretty oh, tough. He definitely falls quite a, quite a fall out off that train. So. Oh, it looks like Gandalf falling in uh, the original Lord of the Rings. I mean, oh, I don't. Yeah. But similarly, uh, he makes it out alive. Only Bucky didn't say "fly, you fools." No, and he did not yell "you shall not pass" to anyone on the train either. <laughs> uh, so then we get to uh, they, they, you know, they get Zola, who gets interrogated by Colonel Phillips, and it's an incredible scene, which we'll get to it later, but. Zola gives up so, uh, quite a bit of intel, and this leads to them doing what looks like one final raid on the last base standing. And as as Red Skull sees it all falling apart, he decides, I'm getting this Tesseract, and I'm getting out of here with my plane that has bombs for every major U.S. city. Yeah, and I just kind of, you know – and in, in today's terrorism environment, it's just kind of, kind of crazy to to think about that concept, you know. But, um, and the, the the great part about that is Berlin's on there. And, oh yeah, he he did. He <laughs> just wanted to knock off. He just wanted to, uh, like most villains in the MCU, rule or create chaos, world so, domination. Yeah, absolutely. Which he, he didn't care about Nazism. He just cared about. Uh, supreme power i guess in his own version so enter you know as the plane is take is starting down the runway cap as fast as he is he probably can't catch it but in pulls agent carter and colonel phillips in the red skull's car which can apparently go 200 miles per hour and <laughs> they uh they they catch up to the plane but before they before they catch up to it uh, we finally get to see some romance between Cap and Peggy outside of the bar scene earlier in the movie where they actually finally share a kiss. I mean, it was brewing, you know, it was, it was leading up to it. It's just, you know, and they finally got to have just a small little kiss. Small little kiss after all that chemistry in the bar scene. Uh, of course, Bucky kind of ruined that for him with putting his. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that yeah, later. We'll get, we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. So, so Cap gets onto the plane. He, uh, you know, he knocks out a couple, a couple of the henchmen. He also flies a plane around. We'll get into that later. But he gets into the cockpit. And, you know, here's our final villain, big boss battle between our main hero. And he, they get a couple smacks in, some punches, kicks. And eventually he knocks the Red Skull onto a machine that is harnessing the power of the Tesseract. And it releases the Tesseract, which Red Skull holds in his hand. And then, boom, you know, the ship just look, it looks like outer space is above it. Yeah. Which, all of a sudden, the Red Skull is zapped into it with us at the time, not knowing what happened in any capacity of where he was going. We should have known, though, that that wouldn't be the last we'd see of the Red Skull. Uh, yes, I, especially since he is one of Captain America's biggest... Uh, adversary so cap quickly gets in the captain's seat to fly the ship but realizes because of all the bombs that are still on it that he's gonna have to put it down even yeah. though he has a brief exchange with agent carter where she tries to talk him out of it but he says he's got to do this but it leads to them setting up a date uh you know eight o'clock graham don't stand me up yeah <laughs> and uh you know we fast forward as he lays the plane down uh, to howard stark he's 
got a huge ship. You know, he's got all this money as as disposal. He finds the tesseract on the bottom of the ocean. We should and, point out the tesseract. You know, bled through the rest of the the ship and fell into the ocean. Yes, so that's yeah, where Howard yeah. found it. Yet, it I guess it can go through metal, but when it hits the ocean floor, it's done. It does not fall to the core of the earth. So Howard Stark and his crew they find that, but he wants to keep going. He wants to find Cap. Uh, the screen goes black, which on rewatch I was sitting there thinking. Is the end sequence that I love so much a, a mid-credit scene, or what's going on? <laughs> yeah. And then it does finally go back to a screen, and we have Steve waking up in a hospital bed uh, with a Dodger game playing in the background of the radio. And a nurse comes in, but Steve sees immediately through the facade that is around him, and he calls her out on it because it was a game that he actually attended back in 1941. So he breaks out of the room, and all these – what we come to know are shield agents trying to uh, get to the streets. He gets to the street, runs to Times Square, sees everything around him in a fleet of Which is a great scene, by the way. They do a great oh, 360, yeah. you know, look at Times Square and, and Cap just trying to, you know, doing a spin himself into a circle and just seeing everything that has developed around him. It, it's just classic. Oh, yeah. One it's, of my favorites. It, absolutely. And then and, and what puts the icing on the cake is when the Suburbans all stop, who gets out of the Suburban to talk to him first? Our good old friend Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury. It explains 70 years have passed. And then we cut. Yeah. End movie. And, you know, at that point, you know, you have to – there's there's another little scene right there at the post credit with, with Samuel L. Jackson and Cap you know, kind of leading into the Avengers. But, you know, that was what the, the fourth or fifth appearance of Nick Fury at that point. It's like, when are we going to see more of this guy? Just keep showing up at the end of these movies. Yes. It, it, it was here we in, are again at the end of Captain America. And, yep. End of Hulk. He's talking to Stark at the bar. You know, there's a lot of, lot of Samuel L., but not in the capacity. Was he not at the end of Iron Man 1? Ah. Uh, you know, I can't remember. We'll watch. The good we'll thing with every watch. It could be one of our other segments. We can call it the Samuel L. Segment. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we did the rundown, but let's talk about what we loved about this movie. So I'll let you go, Graham. I'll let you go first. What are your five favorite moments? And give us a couple of favorite quotes from this movie. You know, we're going to we're gonna overlap some on this. I think, you know, I think my first favorite moment um, – is the whole sequence there where Rogers, you know, all the guys are trying to climb up the flagpole to get the flag down and Rogers, you know, just takes the pins out and the flagpole falls down. He unhooks it and hands it to the, you know, the officer. That kind of leads in a little bit later into the dummy grenade scene, which is just, I mean, you know, you know, we talk about you over me. I mean, that's Steve Rogers. That's what I like the most about Steve Rogers. And ultimate team player. Yes. Um, you know, I, I go next to the, the the scene where Agent Carter, you know, gets a look at him after he, you know, when the when the door is open, the theme is played for the first time, and Agent Carter, you know, is just kind of enamored with him, and, um, you know, that that's just a you know a classic scene. Um, here's where I'm probably going to veer off for a lot of people. I really enjoyed the Star Spangled Man with the plan, you know, thing. I just thought that was really fun, and kind of showed a lighthearted bit in the movie, and. Chris Evans awkwardly reading his lines as an uncomfortable, you know, person, 
in that Captain America kind of role. He gets better um, at it though. He's yeah, he, of, get, he really gets real polished at it. You know, yeah. doing the the promos for the high schools and all that stuff later. Yeah. Um, now, one scene I just loved, and you know, you hinted at earlier, was the the interrogation scene with Colonel Phillips and Zoller. Um, you know, and then Tommy Lee Jones, gosh, I mean, he brings in this plate of steak and potatoes and a cold glass of milk. And I'm just like, golly, man, I need to stop what I'm doing right now and go grill a steak and bake a potato and have steak and potatoes. That's, that is true marketing right there. They I, I was a little problem. confused about the milk part of it, but uh, yes. You no, know, I think it works. I mean, I, I understand too, like you don't think about milk but i love milk so i'm i'm good i'm good with the milk and the steak scene and then what and then uh last scene i'll i'll, I'll mention is is the one we just talked about with nick fury and, and we when he comes out into times square and just that whole moment there is just you know pretty pretty epic oh yeah and, the, and we that <laughs> we clearly the this shows about how we are as friends because we we're so closely aligned, you know, my, and my five, you know, my number one, same thing was when he jumps on that dummy grenade and just his overall selflessness in the moment, he has no idea. Uh, you know, he's yelling it at Will, get out, get out, get out. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, it, it was a dummy grenade and he just looks like a man that was destined to be a hero. And then, yeah. you know, my second one, same thing, which, you know, reading into this scene, that post-procedure scene, when he, those doors open and you got Evans, you know, for up to that point in the movie, they had had to use body doubles where they CGI'd the face onto the body double. And when the actors were talking to him, he had to wear uh, dots in different spots. So they, when they had to mesh it together, they'd know where he was looking at. Anyway, you know, a, the entire scene was actually improvised when he steps off of that, you know, machine, her response was genuine and not in the script. She was so taken back about his physique that she wanted to see like, is this movie magic or is he this ripped? And sure enough, he got that jacked for that role. Yeah. Uh, you hear about stuff like that in the movies, you know, where the first thing they end up shooting is the thing they end up keeping. So, yep, um, that's that's awesome. This will be this will be the one that we kind of uh, we're different on. Is I love the scene where she shoots the shield because he puts it up and all he says is, "How do I look?" And her reaction out of the jealousy of watching him kiss another woman is to unload uh, a full chamber of bullets at the shield in the middle of a laboratory uh classic scene i loved it it was uh it was fun on rewatch yeah it was good and then same thing the the interrogation scene that whole sequence uh this the dryness of tommy lee jones that he brings into a lot of his roles carries over and uh you know he does he does a great job i love he he's cutting it up over there on the other side and he's gonna take a bite you know the whole scene was uh it was great, and they put it in a perfect spot within the movie. And that leads to my fifth one, uh, the end <clears throat> sequence with Fury. Just running into Times Square, you see all the light. It does a great job of kind of showing that, you know, he is a man out of time, which is a quote that's used later on in the saga that shows that he's, 
you know, completely astonished by everything he's looking at. I also have to add in the Stan Lee cameo about midway through when he's supposed to be getting a medal. Uh, anytime that guy pops up, obviously he's a legend, may rest in peace, but that his little line in that had me cracking up. I don't know why. It's just something about when they throw him into these scenes that's great about these movies. Yeah. You know, they're they're all funny. Like, you know, some of them got kind of cheesy, you know, toward the end when Stan wasn't able to do as much, but um, that was a good one. Yep. So what about quotes? What what's uh, what were some of the quotes from this movie that you really were just like, I will always remember that quote when I think about this movie? The first one, and every time I, I think about Captain America, I think of this one, you know, the the what made you so special a response nothing i'm just a kid from brooklyn yeah. that that to me is is the whole mindset of who captain america is you know he doesn't view even as a super soldier he doesn't view himself as a as a superhero so much as he is just someone out there trying to make a difference and um and the great part is is that that never really changes about him throughout the whole marvel series it's just one of my favorite aspects of him and uh Pardon my French, but I really love the the scene where Tommy Lee Jones says, "We are going to set a fire under Johann Schmidt's ass." It's <laughs> really funny the way he says it, and that, you know, it's kind of one of the first the first indications that you know you get the, the idea that he's now in support of Cap because at that point he was kind of keeping Rogers at bay, and um, now he's kind of like, "Yeah, we're going to use you to go and and get and, and be part of the team." So yeah. I think when he saw him rescue all those, you know, guys from the Austria Hydra facility, he kind of realized that this is my guy. This is my ace. I got to put the ball in his hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, one of my favorite quotes is also from Tommy Lee Jones when they first show up to basic and he says, I'm going to, we're going to find a super soldier. who's going to personally escort Hitler through the gates of hell. You know, that's, that's classic to me. <laughs> and then, same thing with the uh, the nothing. I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. He uses his famous line when the guy just keeps beating him up, and he gets you know he and he gets back up each time in the alley. He says the classic line, "I can do this all day," uh, and that carries on. Did That's, you say that again when the, the scene was Schmidt too? Yes. So yeah, you get that, and you get that kind of intro of that. This is someone who has no quit to him, and then you flash all the way to Endgame. And he's fighting himself, and his other version of himself says, I can do this all day. <laughs> and he goes, I know, oh, that's I know. Great. That's just great. <laughs> great writing. Great. I mean, great oh, yeah, they, I, they had a clear – I think they had a clear vision in this when you look at, you know, not to go into a different universe, but you look at the, the Star Wars sequels. I'm not so sure that the beginning to the end had a – had a vision the whole time. And in these movies, it kind of seems like there was a grand vision that they didn't have to go too far off a path to build this saga. A lot of planning, a lot of work. And I think a lot of it was ongoing too. Like, you know, you kind of lock yourselves into some, some things as the movies go on. Um, but yeah, they, they had to have had like a grand arc, like a, like a huge storyboard, like, you know, we're, we're going to do this, but we're not going to do it till the eighth movie or something. And yeah, you know, and uh, being yeah. really patient and deliberate about it had to have been tough. Cause like in today's universe, you want to throw all your best stuff out there right now. 
you don't want to wait. Man, they, they did wait. And there's so much more good stuff to come. Agreed. In a world of instant gratification, they did, they played the slow hand and piece by piece created just, uh, you know, something great. So bring us to next little, uh, little topic or a little section. We call it the Doctor Strange What If Universe. So Marvel is putting it together a what if uh, universe comic series. But to kind of our spin off of that, we'll talk about some of the castings that could have happened. So the first one I got to touch on is that, you know, for Captain America, they had several names to a list. But when they really got down to it, when Chris Evans had rejected them the first time, enter Jim, John Krasinski from The Office as a finalist for this role. Uh, and Sebastian Stan, who gets cast as Bucky, was one of the finalists as well. How does this movie turn out with either one of those guys, Graham? You know, I'm very new to John Krasinski. We, my wife and I did not watch The Office when it originally came on TV. We have since watched the entire series in less than a year. Love it. And love Jim and Pam. And, you know, and I think John Krasinski is very funny and a terrific actor. You know, I've heard people say that the new Jack Ryan series on Amazon Prime is terrific with him. Oh, it's great. It's great. I just cannot picture him as an action star. And so I'm going to have to watch. I'm going to have to watch the Jack Ryan series and then get back to you about what I think of, of John Krasinski as a Captain America. I just can't picture it. I just can't. And as far as like Sebastian Stan, you know, the Sebastian Stan we get in this movie is different than any of the other movies from, from here on out because his, his role is the winter soldier. And even when they were able to turn the winter soldier, spoiler alert, you know, it's just different than the way he is in this one. So I don't know. They hit a home run with Chris Evans and um, I'm really glad they did. And um, just, I mean, he is captain America. I just can't picture anybody else being being Captain America. I, I agree. You know, the thing with Krasinski is that in 2011, you would have only have saw him as Jim. Since then, he's done a lot of different roles, and uh, he's had some roles where there's some action included. And yeah. I can see him. But in 2011, I think this was the pick, and it was a, a good pick. And I'm glad they didn't choose Sebastian Stan, even though if we fast forward to – uh, the Winter Soldier and the Falcon and that whole series that's going to come out. If they had chosen Stan, it's kind of like you know, go, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But it's kind of like you know the news that Robert Pattinson is going to be the next Batman. You're like, really? You know, I think about all the roles he's been in. Like, how is he going to be Batman? But he might end up being great. He know? could be one of the best. You know, we you never know until we, we get him out there. The 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 big thing about why I'm glad they didn't choose Stan to Sebastian Stan to be the to be Cap would be that Ryan Philpy would have been Bucky. Apparently, I think this would have. Yeah. I think this would have ruined <laughs> the movie. I think it probably would have. I can't. I, I'm sorry, but any role he's in, he's. I'm not a big fan. I don't. I think you agree with me on that one. I just keep thinking about him in the Cruel Intentions movie. I just can't stand it. I mean. Oh, absolutely. I mean, know. and you know, and that was a classic with one of the greatest songs ever. Is is a huge role in it, but 
I, he was awful. So let's, you know, talk about Agent Wait, wait, what is that greatest song ever? Bittersweet Symphony? Yes, I am a sucker for that song. I, you know, the, the Verve, um, I, they didn't have many hits, but that's a, that's a classic. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that one. So Agent Carter, we had, it, it really was Alice Eve, Kira Knightley, and Emily Blunt. And Emily Blunt was their first choice. Uh, it's an interesting choice. What do you, you know, she, she rocks her role in Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, if you've ever seen Sicario, it's an action-packed movie, and she does an incredible job. It's an incredibly well-done movie. Uh, but I'm not so sure I see her having a budding romance and the chemistry side of things that we see with Atwell and Evans yeah. on screen. What do you, what do you think is a bizarro world, so Emily my, Blunt, a good agent Carter? So I just don't know enough about Emily Blunt. So I, you know, I've seen edge of tomorrow, but who, who can take their eyes off of Tom Cruise, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, he just captures the screen. And then, you know, I saw her in the Mary Poppins movie. I, you know, I think she probably would have done fine. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, Gemma, Gemma Alt Alterton and uh, Kiera Knightley. You know, I do think Kiera Knightley could have done a good job. You know, she, she's kind of feisty and kind of has a little bit of an honoriness to her in those Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, I, I think she could have pulled it off. I'm going to throw one out there for you, too, that I think would have done a good job. That's Catherine Zeta-Jones. Whoa! You know? you know, I just – she she has a little bit of an honoriness to her that you have to have as Agent Carter. You know, Agent Carter's not going to be somebody who's pushed around and um, or intimidated by any, you know, man, Captain America or anybody. And but, I think that's a good pick. I like that pick because I feel like someone who got to the position where she's at in her career within the movie story arc – she would have to be at least 10 years older than Cap to have achieved yeah. that much mobility in the ranks. So we'll, we'll get into later about what is she doing there. But I think that's good. And pick. she doesn't so, age. I mean, she looks like she's in her 30s. And you know? yet she married a man who's a thousand years old. Neither here or there. So <laughs> let's go to our villain, Jeremy Irons, Mark Strong, Christoph Waltz, uh, Ralph Feeney, uh, Joaquin Phoenix was the actual, like, this was their pick for the Red Skull. And there's so many nerd connections going on in my mind when I see these, these different men that they wanted to cast. Uh, you know, Strong plays in Shazam. Uh, Jeremy Irons, Academy Award winner, he plays Alfred in Batman. You've got Lord Voldemort as part of that list. You, and then you have Joaquin Phoenix, who just absolutely was breathtaking as the Joker. Uh, you know, all of these guys, and, and Waltz included, he would absolutely just destroy the German part. They've done a terrific job in their careers. But what are your thoughts about them playing the Red Skull? You know, it, this one's hard for me. Um, Mark Strong, I'm just now familiar with him because of the, the Shazam role. Uh, Ralph Fiennes, I mean, I, you know, he was pretty creepy as Voldemort, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yes. They could have made him into a good Red Skull and he would have done a good job. I think all these guys probably would have done a good job. But I'm, I'm serious when I say this because, you know, when, when I went to rewatch Captain America, one of the first things I wrote down, is there not any better villain than Hugo Weaving? You know? 
even in a movie like the Lord of the Rings where he plays the 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 one elf, he's almost depicted as a villain in that one. He's just kind of, you know, cold and calculating and you know, non-emotional, just like the Agent Smith role he played in The Matrix. I mean, um even in so, his role as in V for Vendetta where he is the masked anti-hero, I guess, he comes off as a creepy, you know, villain. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he he just does a great job in it, and I guess we'll never know, you know. But um, I, I think they did a great job on on uh, on Hugo Weaving on, on selecting him. I don't know what made them decide to go to him after you know they couldn't work it out with with Phoenix, but um, yeah, yeah, um, he I I agree. He you know I'll get into something a little later. Uh, about him but you know you put in the notes that you know he is red skull what's interesting is the scenes that we get from him fast forward to spoiler infinity war and endgame he did not reprise the role they used voice sound like they intercut his voice into a role and used computer uh, graphics of past images of him to put that in because he didn't want to continue doing it and in uh in an interview he actually said the role to him was meaningless which is wild as a nerd <laughs> like me to hear someone talk about the mcu that way yeah these actors man you just never know i mean i'm sure it took hours upon hours to get him ready for makeup for this role and you know sure. a lot easier just to throw in a few vo you know sound bites so yep. So that that wasn't his voice. So it it is his voice from previous. They basically used uh, technology, kind of like with Star Wars, where they had Grand Moff Tarkin, where it oh, literally yeah. sounds like Tarkin in Rogue One, but he's uh, you know since passed and didn't get to do the reprise the role. So they I wonder if they had to pay him on that. Now, interesting. That's something I didn't see it in any of my, uh, you know, feeble <laughs> Google research, but I'm sure you're that's to, yeah. I could you're find out. To, uh, you know, pay somebody for their likeness. Yeah. So that leads us into the Tony Stark questions corner. So the why, the what, this doesn't make sense, plot holes, et cetera, you know, things that we caught along the way where we were thinking, how does that fit in? So one of my biggest ones, maybe you can answer this for me, and we'll, we can just do uh, uh, rotary style here, is why is Agent Carter with the American troops at a basic training? You know, I don't know, I have an exact answer for this, but I know that the, the, you know, the United States and Great Britain had you know, reliance in World War II, and, um, you know, you often hear about, um, oh, what was the movie that, where the, the guys were flying planes, they're American pilots fly, flying for the British. And um, I forget what it was, but you hear about stuff like that, you know, kind of all the time where they're, you know, you're flying, helping out a different country. And so that's kind of what I got out of that. Is, you know, she's just. Because she was. steps onto the scene like she's a drill sergeant, but she's an agent and she's British. It's just, a, it's just for me, I think that some capacity that wasn't addressed, and maybe it didn't need to be, but it was just, you know, for me, it always stuck out. What are, what are one of your, uh, your questions? Um, you know, this kind of fast forwards a little bit, but, you know, they give him that shield, 
and they don't really ever show him working on throwing it. You know, all of a sudden he's just really good and accurate at throwing it, able to, you know, peg a guy out of a tree with it. And so, you know, I'm sure that, you know, in, in the scheme of things that somebody like him would have to, um, would have to get good at throwing the shield, but they just don't ever show that. Maybe that's something they cut out of it. I, I can't remember. You think that since he has this like super serum in him, makes him run fast, makes him strong, that it makes his hand-eye coordination and his ability like just deadly accurate? Does he just become one of those guys that's good at everything? Like we all know that guy that they're good at basketball, but they're also good at frisbee golf. You know, it's just a weird yeah. uh, dynamic. Yeah, he's one of those guys that can probably be good at anything he does from here on out, you know. Um, or is it like in Spider-Man where, like, all of a sudden his vision is 20-20, his hearing is is pristine, you know, his senses are just, you know, elevated to the point where, you know, he's just great. And maybe it's like that, too. I, I don't know enough about the Captain America character to know, but, um, man, that super soldier serum sure helped him out a lot. Uh, yeah, I don't, and his ability to hit someone in the face and it come right back at him is, is an incredible feat. So one of my, you know, for this segment is if he was a pro prospect now, you know, we already saw the arm based solely on the Brooklyn chase scene. What's his 40? What, what are we clocking him at? You know, that's, that's a great question. You know, he nearly outruns a plane. <laughs> is um what is this guy go to the nfl after the like if he hadn't been frozen you know the war ends there's no real avengers initiative does he go play running back for maybe my minnesota vikings yeah i mean you know i'm gonna say four four five in the 40 <laughs> yeah I, I don't um but his all his numbers would have been off the chart right oh his you know, bench like, the two two twenty five like he'll be going is it like a Superman? He'd have to hold something back just because he could score a touchdown every time. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, another one of mine, you know, you get to that scene where um, Colonel Phillips and Agent Carter at the movies, and they see the newsreel, and Cap has the compass, and he's got a picture of Agent Carter in there. Where did that come from? You know, where did he get that photo from? Is he I just, don't remember him getting that. I don't know. Did, did Howard Stark have like some ahead of the time? version of a polaroid and he just click a quick pick and cut it out and put it in his i don't know how, how would you get access to a photo like that of her where she's all dolled up and you know all that and put it yeah. in your compass like that it's, it's an interest i guess maybe he stole it from her file that's something i was trying to think maybe there's a file on each person and but yeah that's uh <laughs> and it not so subtle look at the camera to kind of show her like you're on my mind <laughs> uh so yeah. you know one of my you know what it doesn't make sense is it conceivable that cap can sneak into a base uh, let's just call it it's a nazi base but hydra base with an american flag shield literally on his back the entire time like when he's running around would that not be seen You would think it would be. I, I mean, would think he would have kind just, of sticks out. He's like a sore. If you're doing, I understand that that's part of his persona. But if you're doing a solo mission, how? Why don't you do a little more incognito? Yeah, a little more uh, 
camouflage there. Yes, yeah, some, um, something. One of the interesting things I'd like to point out here, too, you know, it's interesting that in all these movies, Cap never takes a bullet, I don't think. You no. Know, and what would happen if he did? What would happen if he if he got shot? Would his body just spit it out like the Hulk does? Or would it bounce off like Superman? You know, if you, if you try to compare the universes, you know, he is the Superman of Marvel, essentially, because that's they both do this. They use American flag colors. They both have similar attributes minus the flying. Does it bounce off? I don't know. That's a great one. Yeah. So one of the things I, I've, I've thought about was, why is it that every single movie that has Nazis is the bad guys in it? Why does it always feel like a Steven Spielberg, Indiana Jones movie? You know, the, the Wilhelm scream, the, the really long cars, the glasses, you know, that they wore, the, the, the reflections. I mean, it's all there. I guess it's because it's, they, the Nazis are a common enemy we can all root against. Like, we all, no one's going to go, oh, I kind of have some sympathy for them. I, I guess that's why we always go back to, to uh, you know, even in some of these B-list or, you know, straight-to-DVD movies, like there's one dark side of the moon where the Nazis relocated to the back side of the moon, and now they're going to try to come back again to overtake the Earth. It's just one of those enemies that people will always go, oh, I hate them, regardless of who you are. Interesting <laughs> point, though. Yeah. Uh, something I have. Uh, just a couple uh, other what or didn't make sense. Uh, so <laughs> he breaks them out of the first Hydra facility. And then they literally walk back from Austria to, I believe they're in Italy, which there's some time hole. There's some time issues there because the Americans didn't cross into Italy till 44. But they walk all that way and none of the scout planes spotted them. Amazing. 300 guys there the other Maybe thing some deleted yeah. they were they they cap shot them down with perfect accuracy you know threw his shield up there in the sky and they you know you talk about the hydra part of this why do all of them look like they're the gimp from pulp fiction coming out of the cell what are they wearing why is that the the standard uniform i don't know but i'm telling you well on the rewatch one of the first that first shot they showed of one of those hydra soldiers kind of standing there in the hallway i looked at that mask i'm like kylo ren it's that, kylo ren <laughs> I, th I thought the same thing it, it's kylo ren is at least on the in. parts of it you know the you know the i'm sure that's very different if we were to get them up side by side and really compare them but in just a glance that's all i could think about was kylo ren well even if it's not identical you have the knights of ren which all wore masks and I can see kind of what you're talking about. It's very, very similar. Maybe uh, when Disney made the star Wars sequels, they pulled some of the Hydra outfits out to put on the Knights of Ren. Um, well, you know, one of my things well. is and it, it's all kind of tied to the last raid. So in that raid, how does Hydra lose when they have all of these weapons that literally one blast could kill multiple people just by one trigger pull why is a highly decorated colonel leading the raid and cap all of a sudden knows how to fly a plane where you know you talk <laughs> about the shield throwing where was his basic training of flying 
the Jets that are carrying these bombs when he gets back on the Red School Skulls play. I just where where did that fit in? I thought that was a stretch on the plot. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, that's just just something you know, one of the magic of the superhero movies, I guess, is how did yeah. how did Cap learn how to fly a plane? I mean, <laughs> I, I know. guess it goes back to the serum. I guess it just makes you. It's like uploading something in Neo's brain, and he just knows how to do it. They're just instantly in, like a superhuman is what he is. So I guess that's kind of following the same path. Well, I guess we never really knew what he learned in basic training, though. All the you know, that kind of stuff that you, you don't have enough time in the movie to see, but um it's a good point. You know, maybe he learned how to fly in the interim. I don't know. Maybe um <laughs> I d I don't know. Yeah. Uh one thing that about these intro movies it kind of just it I understand we have to have it, but you spend half the movie of them becoming the character that they are and then you only have like an hour left of them actually being the character. Yeah, um, they have to. Luckily, in this table. one, you see, you get all kinds of Captain America. You know, you're not like with the Batman movies. You know, half that movie he's gonna be Bruce Wayne, and the other half he's gonna be Batman. And and this one, it's all Cap, right? You know, even when he's Steve Rogers, we all know he's Cap, and and so it works out well. So, but you know, and, and I'm sure this will probably be something I hit on a lot in these first few intro movies. Is we're gonna. You know, you got to spend the time getting to be Iron Man. You got to be spending the time, you know, developing, except for the Hulk, I guess, because he's already the Hulk when 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 that movie starts. But yeah, um, I think they definitely they use the old adage of where, what's your foundation made of. You know, what they have to build that foundation of who the character is and what's their motivations and how did we get to this point to kind of unravel and and. Yeah. Like you said, develop a character. Uh, so going into one of the know, beautiful thing about the the 1989 Tim Burton Batman is that you know we get the movie going, he's already Batman. Oh yeah, go there, it, it's it's nonsense. rocking and rolling. It's not like you know I love Batman Begins. It has an interesting take on how he develops. But yeah, you're right. He's straight up already punching bad guys. Yeah. So. All right. Let's talk about, you know, one of the biggest things of the entire Infinity Saga is the snap. So one of our segments is, what would you snap? So if you have to snap and it completely turn a part of this movie to dust, I'm going to go ahead and lead us off. I'm a, and it's one of your favorite scenes, but I'm, I'm 10,000% snapping the war bonds version of this movie. Um, You know, if they just did the whole experiment and they have a super soldier and he can run that fast and do all these things. I think he's going right into action. There is no let's put him on the shelf. Well, he's going to go out and he's going to be our ace. My other thing I'd snap is so Agent Carter catches Steve being seduced by cameo uh, by Marjorie Tyrell here with Game of Thrones, but they're in this office and I get they're trying to push the plot along, but their chemistry in that bar scene later on is off the charts. You know, use some time there to push this relationship along, especially if come in game, you're just going to have him go back in time to be with her. I don't see enough scenes between them that show an actual romance budding as much as it just like a slow, like almost workplace flirtation. It was very, you know, yeah. something I thought they could have done differently. And that leads into my snap. And I disagree with your first one, obviously. The second one I'm, <laughs> I'm okay with. 
Um, but in the scene in the bar where where Agent Carter comes in in the red dress and she's talking to Cap, there's Bucky there. You know, the third wheel. You know, three's a crowd, Bucky. Scram. You know, they could have gotten rid of him, and and that scene would have been a lot better because it's just, you know, more Cap and Carter there and less Bucky, and I think that scene would have been a little bit better. I agree. There was your time window to actually have some like intimate dialogue and i sound strange for an action movie but it's a huge plot line that continues that they continue to revisit in all of the captain america you know arc and they kind of laid flat when it came to that part of the movie all right so villains yeah. hall of fame uh, this is the part where from each movie which for some of these movies you know i start to think back there's gonna be multiple villains within one movie but for this movie i think we're both you know, Red Skull is the main villain. Where do you rank him in terms of MCU villains? Well, so I haven't exactly done all my homework yet in terms of the actual ranking of those villains. I've kind of got an idea of, of who I think are the best. Um, I think has got a rank in the top 10. Um, and there's a lot of good ones in that top 10. I'll have to, um, you know, maybe even the top five. Um, now you're speaking my language because I have him at four. And, wow. Yeah, like you said, and, I'll, and I have some explanations or some, some things to kind of back it up. So, you know, you think about the Red Skull. He took on Captain America. Like he wasn't, there wasn't any part of him like, ah, I can't fight this guy. He was like, yeah, I'm going to fight this guy. He's also a super, has the same serum in him that is in Captain America. Uh, he's one of right. the first villains in the whole arc that actually possesses an Infinity Stone for the, almost the entire movie. I mean, at the end, at the time you're left, you know, he loses it right there when he put, picks it up, but he has it for the majority of the movie. You know, the guy's walking around there, you think it's just Hugo Weaving bringing back a German version of Agent Smith, but nope, he's a demonic-looking super soldier, and he's one of the few villains where the movie doesn't end with him dying or ended up in prison. You know, at the time, yeah. you're left wondering, well, what the heck happened to him? But he gets transported to Vormir, yeah. and he's the guide for the Soul Stone. You add all these things through the entire arc. Uh, you know, German bad German accent aside, he still hasn't died, and he ultimately was the vessel that led to Gamora and Black Widow's death. I mean, it might be a hot take, but he's on my Mount Rushmore. He's up there. Did you notice Did you notice that, um, you know, right after he was zipped off into the, the universe that Cap said that Schmidt's dead? I, I had not caught that before until, I did. until just rewatching. Yeah, wow. Uh, and... Uh, Obviously uh, not. That's why I ranked him so high. You know, when we get through this, yeah. we'll have some up and down. Yeah, but I've got him. Uh, you talk twenty-three movies. There's probably thirty villains, but he's he's in my he's in my top four. So, yeah, I mean, I I'd have to say he's going to be in my top five. I'll, I'll have to get back to you on on exactly where that's going to rank up. I'm, you know, but I know of two. I'm not going to say which ones right now that I would put in front of him. So. Yes, I, I've, um, I've, I've got, I actually wrote down my entire list, and this is all subject to change. I mean, we go back through and watch this again. We may say, you know, this guy's a good villain because insert, you know, insert content. 
so infinity rank. And we talk about where where do we rank this amongst the uh, Infinity Saga? Then those first twenty three that we have to date. Yeah. What do you so, got? So, um, so you know this this was a lot harder to do than I thought it would be. So Agreed. I've kind of grouped mine into the great movies. A group, you know, I, 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 I that's how I start. I say great, good, okay. And so I would go through every one of them and, and, and slot them. And then amongst that, that grouping, then I would try to figure out some order. So I've got Captain America as being the, the fifth ranked Marvel comic, Marvel Cinematic Universe movie that's been released so far. Number five. Wow. I think that highly of it. Wow. <laughs> Let's hear it. Hey. And um, I just... You know, it's still one of my favorites. Cap is one of my favorite characters, and I'm not going to uh, hide behind that. I, I just, I think he's great. You're I gonna really enjoy Captain America. You're going to hate. I went and I, you know, if we're talking me being a soccer coach, we're talking mid-table for me as far as where they're at. Oh. I went mid-table. He's not getting relegated, but he's not going to Champions League. I've got this one at 13. Wow. Okay. And, you know, I've got my entire list. And remember, all this is subject to change. I mean, on rewatch, I may end up thinking, you know, this was better than this and move things around. But at this time, it's only the fifth movie that they've made. And it takes place roughly half a century or a little over half a century before most of the movies. Well, There's several things I like. Uh, and 13 doesn't necessarily, you talked about great, good, okay. It doesn't necessarily make it a bad movie. Uh, to me, oh, no, no, not all. It just yeah. means that, you know, and you think about the entire universe, several great movies came out. Well, and, and to your point, you know, you said this is the fifth movie that had been released so far in that chain. This was my favorite of those first five that came out. I was like, this is the one I like the best. Yeah, so, I, it, was, it was two for me, but it's, it was, you know, it still gave me hope of what was next. You know, I feel like, um, you know, when you talk about the, where they were at in the studio at this time, I think they were still trying to uh, figure out what was the secret formula the or serum, to throw in a word from this movie, that would make these movies what they are. And this was pre-Disney. So, you know, this came out during a time, it, it was a rough time for this movie to come out because Nolan's Batman trilogy was still an ongoing thing. You know, you had uh, Dark Knight Rises that would come out uh, around that same time yeah. and you know it's it set that whole trilogy set the bar really high for superhero movies you come talk yeah, about I mean. dark knight and dark knight rises and batman begins it was you know you that was the, our uh you know our comparison that was what we were looking at uh but now re-watching it uh, i thought it set up the rest of the arc perfectly um, I think it did a good job developing Cap and Chris Evans in that role and showing kind of little breadcrumbs of what Bucky meant to him and what Peggy meant to him. It was good, but I would always say to my guys, good's the enemy of great. And it wasn't for me quite there yet. I know that breaks your heart. All right. No, that's not the first time you broke my heart before. So. <laughs> hey, wait Just for it. <laughs> wait, wait for, wait for Winter Soldier. All right, I've got a little different take on that. You know, we'll get to that. So, all right. 
Uh, thoughts from our wives. So my wife is so funny. I, I love her to death. Um, <laughs> she thought it was just okay. So <laughs> I, we went through them the other night and I took notes on her response and she, you know, was just okay. I was so, you know, as I told you, it's one of my favorites. I was so excited to show it to her and she thought it was okay. So <laughs> mine, mine, mine's, uh, you know, I love my wife too. And she, she is not as big of a fan as I am into these fantasy like sagas with these, uh, the star Wars to the MCU, uh, to Harry Potter, to Lord of the Rings. If you name them, uh, she doesn't like Harry Potter. That's those aren't really necessarily her cup of tea, but, uh, here were some things, you know, I put it on, but I put it on, I didn't say, you know, Hey, we're about to watch the movie that Graham and I are going to start our podcast. So I, I just put it on and she's at her computer kind of, I see her glance back at the screen a couple of times, but about halfway through the movie, she looks at me and goes, am I supposed to be watching this? <laughs> and I said, have you not been entertained? She goes, I, was I supposed to? And my favorite quote, what did I get myself into? So we'll have to put it, I'll have to put it on again for her and say, this is what we're, I'm doing uh, to get a better quote from her. But I thought the best quote was, am I supposed to be watching this? Yeah. Funny story about that though. So when, when my wife and I uh, got together, you know, several, you know, 15 years ago, you know, she could not stand baseball, would not be in the same room with me watching baseball. And I've, you know, through osmosis have converted her into a baseball fan where now she needs it on. So, um, you know, maybe we'll get there one day with Captain America. We'll see. Maybe. Maybe we'll see. Well, yeah, we'll see where we go. I, I'm still holding out hope for uh, Star Wars as well. So let's get into our final thoughts. Um, some things that we want to leave on. I know you're big about scores. Talk to me about the score from this movie. Well, you know, I, I really can't speak so much about the score, but I can speak about the main theme. You know, that, that, that Captain America theme is one of the most recognizable ones in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know. And along with the, the Avengers theme and, and a few others, it's just, you know, they, they, parked a, they picked a perfect time to unveil it in the movie. And you know, it comes out in several different places as well later on. And just a, you know, a really good, a good job on that. I don't even know who the composer was. I didn't even bother to look that up. I also like trailers too. And I don't really remember anything dynamic about the trailers from the movie. Some trailers, you know, make the movie, make you, you know, the, the idea is for you to, the trailer looks so good to go out and go see it. And mm -hmm. I don't remember, remember anything, you know, super dynamic about the trailer. This was before, uh, you know, at that time, I, I didn't follow a lot of IMDb. I didn't have the app. I wasn't checking it when trailers first launched. We didn't have, we had social media, but to the extent that it is right now of plugging a movie, you know, now it's like, oh, when's the Black Widow trailer coming out? Let me get my phone. Uh, mm -hmm. I wasn't doing this then. So I, yeah, I can't, like you, I can't talk too much about trailer, but I can get into when I, when I think about this movie, my ultimate letdowns. Where did they do something that I thought this could have put the movie at the top? So I've got a couple. Uh, one of my biggest letdowns, the final battle sequence. And it isn't much of a battle, 
You know, you want your two main guys to kind of get after it. And I understand the setting is on an airplane, so it made it more of a challenge. But it's like he punches him, he punches him, he hits the machine, and then he gets transported away. Uh, I wanted a battle. What are your What are your thoughts about that fight sequence? Yeah, I, I can see where you'd say that. I mean, I just don't know if they they sort of had a little battle, you know, when when he first took the mask off earlier in the movie. But Cap never could get over there to him. Yeah, and you know. I don't know why they made that editorial decision to, you know, not really have them fight so much. It's kind of like in the wrath of Khan, right? When, you know, Khan and Kirk never are in the same room together. Yeah. You know? That's, it's rough. What the heck? Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, you know, one of the most iconic movies in the history of that franchise. So True. I don't know. It doesn't bother me as much, but um, I can see why it would, why it would bother you. The, the the then the next biggest the, the I guess this would be the ultimate ultimate letdown being a sports fan but also being a fan of intelligence agencies and their ability especially like in this sense Shield you can't find another Dodger game it's <laughs> it's a, it's the greatest secret agency in the world so secret that you flash forward to 2008 and Tony Stark doesn't even know what it is. And they put together an audio package to sell Cap on this time frame. He hits the ice in 44, and they play a baseball game from 41. What 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 happened here? Who who got fired over this? You had one job. You had you know? a single job to find some like 1940. Find a 45, a game from 45, and say he's been in a cult. You know, do something, and you you blew it. Or like they could have even brought in like a Jackie Robinson reference there, you know, and he wouldn't have had who's Jackie Robinson, you know, kind of yeah, thing. But right, you could have you could have sold him that he'd been under the weather for like a f- six months or so, or a few months. But no, yeah. uh, you know, it's just. <laughs> but you know, Shield is notoriously screwing up throughout the whole thing. So. Yes, and once we get to Winter Soldier, we start to realize that Shield has some. Uh, you know, spoiler alert, some Hydra guys within it. So who knows who whose job that was? What, what, are, yeah. what are some of your letdowns? You know, my thing was um, <clears throat> we needed more Peggy and Cap, you yes. know. And that one little kiss they had right there was just, you know, I guess it could have been not in a car speeding after a plane. Maybe it could have been before he got in the car or in that hallway scene where um, when he threw the shield and stopped the door and it could have been right there or something. I don't know. Um, the one with the, with the other actress was, you know, way more involved, I guess. I, that was my, that was a, a, a letdown for me is that they just, they, they could have developed it just a little bit more, that relationship with him and agent Carter. Now the scene where he comes out and goes, I had a date. And you know, that was just great. You know, oh, yeah, there the right at the end. Um, something I t- took back from it for you Razorback fans out there, if you've seen the movie Greater, uh, the actor Neil McConaugh is in, uh, plays a big role in Captain America, uh, the first Avenger, and I believe he plays uh, Brandon Burlesworth's brother. Yeah. I've not seen Greater, but I know he's in it. And you can't not recognize him because it's Agent, it's Mr. Hawk from Star Trek First Contact. True. True. So, anyway, I always liked him a lot as an actor. He is and, uh, what Bill Simmons would refer to as a that guy. When you see him on, yeah. oh, it's a that guy. It's that guy. Yeah. I've seen him somewhere, definitely. 
And then just another thing. Um, so I've got a, uh, a few years ago, my wife was very kind and allowed me to purchase a pair of Bose headphones to, to enjoy music on. And, and I, I actually watched this movie on Amazon prime and, and watch it with my headphones on. It was just quiet Sunday afternoon. Wouldn't want to disturb anybody. And man, I mean, if, if, you know, Somewhere out there, Bose needs to listen to this. They put out a great quality headphone. The, the sound was great. And um, it was almost like being in the theater again. No, wow. I guess my final thought when it comes to this movie, uh, you know, all the maybe negative things I've set aside is that it goes back to Chris Evans. What a perfect casting. Uh, apparently, you know, when you do some research on Chris Evans, like he legitimately takes that role so serious as his role is his uh, role as a role model to the younger kids that his inability, he doesn't end up in tabloids. He's not the guy that's getting in trouble. I think he takes the role very serious of what Captain America stands for. And when we get into where we're at right now as a country in this very strange, uh, almost disconnected time. It's important to remember that America's gotten through a lot of tough things in the past as well. And he's kind of the symbolism of what America is, is that rising up and taking down the bully. And uh, you know, my thought from this movie was he did a perfect job of uh, encompassing that role. Yeah, and I, th I think my final thought is, is, is echoing along those lines that, um, you know, we need more Captain Americas out there, someone to rally behind and, and, and to get behind and believe in. And that's the big thing for me is that, you know, how could you not love this guy? Um, it, it's uh, another friend of mine, you know, during the whole civil war debate, we're like, you, you team cap or you team Stark? I'm like, I'm definitely team cap, man. I ain't ever going to go against team cap. I can't wait till we get to that one then. So, um, yeah, just a, a really well done movie. One of my favorites and, um, it was fun to, to rewatch it again, you know, with, um, with all this in mind that we're doing here. Yeah. So that, that, that wraps about wraps it up for us with the MCU quarantine gauntlet. Uh, the next movie we'll be discussing in length is the 2019 Captain Marvel starring Brie Larson, Jude Law, Ben Mendelsohn, and Samuel L. Jackson reprising his role as a younger Nick Fury. That's all I have. I'm Luke Shoemaker. He's Graham Thomas. Thank you for listening.